0: This week's episode is graciously sponsored by the Ethical Handbag Line Bano, who recently partnered with the National Down Syndrome Society on a curated capsule collection of handbags with the signature Nini Tote named after the founder's sister who has Down syndrome. With every purchase made from this collection, 20% is donated to the National Down Syndrome Society to support their impactful work. Head to bano.com, that's B-E-H-N-O, and use the code NDSS at checkout for a complimentary Terra card holder, a $75 value, which will be sent your way with any purchase from the NDSS capsule collection. This week's episode is brought to you by quantum reflex integration or QRI, which uses cold lasers to repair neurological communication using acupuncture points. Parents find the program easy to implement in their home at their convenience saying hands down the best therapy that we do. Visit reflexintegration.net and use code QRI lucky few for a free QRI computer harmonizer valued at $159 when you purchase an essential package today. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the lucky few podcast where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with down syndrome. This is Heather and Micah and sweet Mercedes is not with us today because at this moment she's moving to a city near me, not a city near me in my neighborhood around the corner <laughs> which is awesome. We are so excited to introduce you to our very special guest today named Shivam Punja who is shouting the worth of people with down syndrome through his designer bag business, Benno. Thank you for joining us friends and welcome to the Lucky Few podcast. All right, Micah. All right. Hey girls. What's up, here. Heather? We're here today. The singing girls. We're gonna
1: say happy day.
0: There we go. How's it going?
1: Good. 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 Yeah. Just like, you know, a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday today.
0: Today is a Wednesday as we record this and we are going to get in it with with some sibling discussions here. Um, yeah. I'm pretty excited about this. We've I feel like we only did a sibling conversation once and that was Mm -hmm. like episode two or three.
2: Yeah, it was.
0: this is good. This is good stuff. Um, Sibling, people ask me a lot. People are very worried about Truly. Mm -hmm. So as you know, we have three kids. Our oldest and youngest have Down syndrome. Our middle daughter Truly does not. People are super worried about her, as am I. (laughs) (laughs) And as I worry about all my children. But I have heard a lot from moms Um, so, okay. For example, with the tattoo, like the lucky few Mm -hmm. tattoo, which is the three arrows representing the three copies of the 21st chromosome. And a lot of parents I've heard talk about how they're not going to get a tattoo until they can get a tattoo for everybody, all of their children. That doesn't feel fair. Um, I say that I have three kids, so I have three arrows so I can make it work. But I also have never had truly say anything about that, about wanting A tattoo for her. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she said things about feeling left out about like wishing she had down syndrome or that down syndrome is more important than not than her, but really it doesn't stick out to me. There's nothing that super sticks out to me. What about you with your kiddos?
1: Um, well, I actually have a tattoo story because this summer my, my eight year old Brixie was like, and I think it was after overhearing somebody ask me about the, my Lucky Few tattoo. And he was like, why don't you have a tattoo for me? And I was like, well, Brooks, that's a really good question. And I should have a tattoo for you. So I just got a tattoo for both my boys on the other wrist. Um, maybe I'll post a picture to go post with this a picture. <laughs> in our show notes. Um, but it, it sort of has the same style as the Lucky Few tattoo, um, but it's a symbol for each of my boys. So there's two little symbols there, a mountain and a river on my other hand now, other wrist.
0: They're rad, so. too. They're super rad.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that, like, Brooks, it, it doesn't matter that much to August, but Brooks loves for, to, like, to lift up my arm and look at it. And he kind of traces it. And I think that there is in him a lot more of bigger feelings about Ace. I think he feels a lot of responsibility for him. And um, I worry about how much I'm putting that on him. Mm. Um, They share a room and he will come and get us if Ace is doing something naughty in the night or if he's like, you know, not falling asleep or, but he also is, um, he's just always, he's more worried, you know, watch ace mom, you need to watch ace. And you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And I, so I don't know, I don't know how it's affecting him Mm -hmm. or if I'm doing it right.
0: I don't know how anything is affecting anyone, or if I'm ever doing it right. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so I feel like with that, I'm always very excited to meet adults' siblings. Yeah, yeah. So adults who have a sibling with Down syndrome, um, which is why you know we've talked about Jimbo so much, and it they, right. they are his siblings are such a gift to me because they. Offers so much wisdom mm-hmm. um, for me as I parent all my kids, but it's also different because they have they have eleven kids. That's a whole other dynamic, you know, in terms yeah, of totally their their childhood. And so I I love talking to people who it's like I've got their family of three, you know, like three siblings. Mm-hmm. I've got you have three kids. I have three kids. Mercedes has three, almost four. Um, and finding out what their experience was like when they were a child and how I can adjust the way that I parent. I know. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, the amount of people who one of their very first fears when they hear that they have a diagnosis is for their kids that they already have. Right. um, Or they're really hesitant to have another kid because of how it's going to affect them. And I mean, things that I can see now with Truly is Truly (laughs) says things that are like pretty profound for her age. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is copying things she hears Josh and I saying, you know, yeah, but it's sure. things that she wouldn't hear us saying if we didn't have kids with down syndrome. Right. Um, and she just has, she really does have a little advocate heart and she will like, she's a little writer. She's like our creative and she'll do write these children's books about like a kid with down syndrome and how to be their friend. And it, I think that the perspective that having siblings with down syndrome gives her Mm-hmm. even as an eight year old, it feels pretty rad and yeah. priceless and worth it. And not hopeful that her future is going to, it's going to spill over into her adult years, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I totally agree. And I feel like there's, you know, I, in that very first sibling episode, I shared a story about, um, the, when August was maybe eight, and ACE was still only one or something. And he met an adult with down syndrome for the first time
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it, he fell apart. Mm-hmm. It was, it was probably one of the hardest moments, um, f- with him in terms of our story with ACE. And, um, it was like a grief. He had to grieve and, and come to a place of understanding that down syndrome was going to make ACE different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, but yeah, that, that, the the depth that that has formed in him and in Brooks that i see just a gentleness and a kindness and uh, just last week we got this really cool email from Ace's teacher about how he's doing it at circle time and that he had picked the right weather picture to put onto the board every day mm-hmm. for like 4 days or something and Everyone was like, We didn't know Ace knew the weather. You know, he's never we've never really talked about the weather, but he yeah. and um and Brooksy just turned to Ace and was like, Ace, you're so smart. We're so proud of you. And, and I you know, Sweet. I just thought about like how how few like eight year old and four year old relationships that kind of thing is ever communicated, mm-hmm. you know, for the family to be at the table and everyone just be celebrating these, this wonderful thing about that ACE had learned and, right. um, it's totally authentic and real and, and it is something pretty special.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The other day, August put on a unicorn costume. And so already things of are looking course. good. Of
1: course. <laughs> and
0: he, I never heard him say unicorn because we don't talk about unicorns a ton. And he says, unicorn. So he says, I love my unicorn. And it was just too good to be true. So he's walking around in this like very girly costume. Yes. And it's got like a long mane. And he's saying, it's my unicorn. <laughs> and I said something about like August is the lottery or like uh, like winning August, so winning the lottery or something. And truly just chimes in and she goes, that's a lottery I would love to win. Yeah. And it's like so genuine. <laughs> you know, yes, babe. We're not ruining you. <laughs> yes. Totally. You know? Yeah. So I'm super excited about our guests because we also hear on the podcast talk a ton about shifting the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I like to think about the future. You know, I, we talk about this too, where everyone who interacts with our kids, school or in the community or their family members, they they go into the world a changed person. And oftentimes you hear people, they're like, I remember that kid in third grade who had down syndrome. And now I am a occupational therapist or a speech therapist, or I work, like work with the community, you know? Right. And I think siblings, um, it's always interesting to see what siblings of people with down syndrome go on to do. And so our Mm -hmm. next guest who's going to be on here, we're going to bring him on in a second. Um, he is an incredibly successful handbag designer, like designing very nice handbags that I can't afford. (laughs) that are beautiful Beautiful. and work. Yes. And working in spaces where like with elite people, you know, Mm -hmm. and he has a sister with down syndrome. And so he's created this incredible company that he is now using to shift the narrative. Like he's using his influence to benefit his sister and they've done a partnership, his company, um, Beno has done a partnership with the national down syndrome society and created this purse called the Nini and he's going to tell us all about it. And that's his sister's name and created it specifically with her in mind and for her. Um, and so when I found out about when they reached out to me, like just telling me about the partnership, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we got to have this guy on the podcast. This is amazing. So we're very excited to have a conversation with our new friend, Shivam. All right, so Shivam, thank you so thank you. much for being here on the show. We're so happy to have you. So excited to be here with you guys. Okay, so before we get, or as we get started, will you just tell us about you? So tell us where you're from, where you live, what you do and your connection to Down syndrome. It's a lot of things.
3: <laughs> yes. So um, I was born and raised in California. So I am a Californian by nature and now I live in Manhattan. So I'm adjusting to having many different seasons, which is always fun. Um, I grew up in a very, very big family. I have two moms and two dads. My mom's younger sister married my father's younger brother. Wow, and wow. we do everything together. We practically live together and Um, Growing up, it was a lot of excitement. Um, We got yelled at twice as much, but we also got loved twice as much. Um, And I have a sister and a brother that aren't from my birth parents. Um, But they are essentially, there is no distinction. They're basically my own siblings. Um, My brother is uh, five years younger than me, and my sister is four years younger than me. And my sister um, has Down syndrome. Um, so that's kind of how we got exposed to this amazing community and New Alley, my sister essentially shook everything up and gave us a lot of perspective and education.
0: And so when you say, if you don't, if you don't mind elaborating a little bit, you're saying that she's not your biological sister, but she's your sister or your brother and sister. So did you grow up with them from infancy?
3: Um, yeah, so we lived together ever since um, she she moved in with us actually when she was a few months old. Um, my mother brought her to California because my um, second father was doing his residency at Wayne State in Detroit, okay. um, which is where my sister was born, and I was at the, my family was at the time in California. So my sister moved to California for a little bit um, so that my mother could um, get ready for her pregnancy with my brother. Um, so just to kind of, you know, show some familial support, um, she moved in. So we grew up together essentially. She's technically my cousin, but those sort of distinctions don't really happen in our family and we're, um, it's just a really tight knit
2: unit.
0: Yeah. And so I'm an adoptive mom. All three of my kids are adopted. So I understand that it's not necessarily genetics and DNA that make the family for sure. So, so then where did you grow up in California?
3: Um, so an hour east of San Francisco, um, in a small town called Tracy. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't really know it, but if you drive to LA from the Bay Area, you essentially pass through Tracy. Um, so, and we have an In-N-Out Burger that's a very popular stop on the way. Um, but yeah, grew up in Tracy.
0: Okay. I went to Sonoma State University and I live in Southern California, so I've done the drive many times. I'm very familiar with Tracy. I have a sister in Santa Rosa, so I know, I know exactly on the map where you're talking yeah. about. Okay, so so we'll fast forward a little bit, well a lot here. And what brought you to Manhattan?
3: Um, yeah, so I started a fashion company as a social enterprise about six years ago. It's called Beno, B-E-H-N-O. And the goal was to look at manufacturing and garment worker rights from a more holistic perspective. But because what I started to notice when I was doing my thesis research in the field, um, studying uh, women's reproductive health in India, was that there was a huge discrepancy between what these amazing garment workers and artisans are producing and what sort of lifestyle they're able to afford themselves. And secondly, there was a huge issue with the factories that currently house some of the largest um, collections for big companies and the way that they're such negligent with how we interact with garment workers. Um, so that kind of inspired me to build our own factory. And we built a factory in collaboration with a nonprofit and an industry veteran. And the goal was to just shake it up a little bit. Um, So that's why I'm in Manhattan for our company. We pivoted to handbags about a year ago. Um, We used to do ready-to-wear and now we're focusing on handbags and
0: accessories. Very cool. And the handbags and accessories are beautiful. Um, And so how did did that get started? Like what what Uh, drove you to that, like in your childhood or in your youth? Um, so we my, both my mothers um, have always enjoyed
3: fashion. So we definitely grew up in a household where we appreciated objects and we appreciated them for both the sentimental but also the aesthetics um, and design perspective. Mm-hmm. So that was always an influence but never an influence enough for me to find myself in a career in the industry. Um, so it was more about how do we use non-traditional um, industries to make large-scale impact.
0: Okay. I love it. It's so great. All right. So I, I am jumping all over the place here because I want to get to the Nini handbag and your sister's name is NeNe um, or you guys call her Nini, and you created a handbag specifically for her in partnership with the National Down Syndrome Society. So let's talk about that. And then I want to go back a little bit to your childhood too, because a lot of our listeners, most of our listeners have a child with Down syndrome um, or a loved one with Down syndrome and parents are always curious about sibling relationships and how those relationships Mm -hmm. are going to affect their children in the future. Um, Before we brought you on, Mike and I were talking about how oftentimes I'll talk to new parents who their biggest fear when they get a downstream diagnosis is how is it going to affect the children that they already have. Um, they're so f- afraid for that. Or if their first child has Down syndrome, do they have another child? Because how it will affect, how will it affect them? So we always feel like an adult sibling. We're just like, you're like a unicorn, like, tell us everything, you know, we, we want to know your whole experience. Um, but so let's talk, let's talk about you and Nini growing up together and what it was like for you when you were younger, like when you were littler, um, as a kid, what your memories are, your experience was having a sister with Down syndrome. Yeah, so I think it was, um, oh, I'm reflecting now. So I think growing up with
3: Alley at home was a very special moment, I think for many different reasons, because it allowed my parents to set a baseline of family values that Mm. now have become my own values. I'm 31 now. and those family values, I think, did stem from understanding and really being fair and equal to Norelli in the home um, without ever creating a situation where we're victimizing her. And I think as a child, um, I'm four years older than her, and I think I wasn't able to process what she was going through or what sort of circumstances she was dealing with. Um and I think I would complain a little bit. And I think there was a lot of jealousy, frustration. Um, we all I almost felt that maybe my mothers were coddling my sister a little bit too much and, you know, I should you know, I'm deserving of the same. And I think this was something that I very candidly felt. But I also became very Oh my God, it's like a double-edged sword. So I'm gonna go back a little bit into school because I think that will help kind of contextualize things. Um, we went to the same school. Um, I was in fifth grade and she was in kindergarten. And my mother had fought very hard with the local school district to give Ali a mainstream education, um, trying to remove her from special ed classes, unquote, and you know, focusing more on integrating her in mainstream education. So we were in the same elementary school. And at the time, I got bullied so much because of my sister. And there was a constant narrative on my end to try to disassociate myself with my sister. And I think that was something that I knew was so wrong and it felt so wrong, but I didn't know how to deal with it because mm-hmm. I this was the first time anyone in my family had ever experienced something like this. So the avenues were not very clear on how to maybe talk about it um, because the family values we grew up with at home were very much about the family, not necessarily our interactions with the public. So I think that was a huge learning curve for me. Um, But then what I started to also see a shift in is my sister became this immense celebrity at school. And then I kind of retroactively kind of wanted to associate myself with my sister. So I think it was a very interesting mind game that I was playing with myself as a a, a fifth grader, trying to figure out what my role would be in a school situation where kids are bullied a lot, and how do we kind of, you know, cope with it? And then over time, we became very protective. And then as I went into middle school, our um, word became very, very um yeah, very, very emotional. Felt very wrong. Um, have I ever used that word before when I was growing up? Yes. But then mm-hmm. you start to realize the impact of those sort of words have on both down syndrome and my sister recognizes that word. So I think we grew a lot very quickly. Um yeah, it's a very long winded story I'm telling. But yeah, it was it was it's very interesting. It's still so hard to put it in few words.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hear that. So I'm an author and a writer and I've written two books basically with a lot of this being the theme. So yes, I understand that it's hard to put into a few words. Um, When you were feeling those struggles when you were in fifth grade, was that something you were talking to your parents about or that was all really internalized for you?
3: So in the beginning it was internalized, um, but I think what happened was our family also did a really, my mother especially, did a phenomenal job making sure that we were in the narrative um, and also contextualizing that this was not our narrative. This was also Nini's narrative, more so her narrative than ours, and making us really understand that we need to be very cognizant and not making this our, in quotes, issue or our... Frustration because it's not about us at the end of the day. It's more about how do we create a safe space and a welcoming space for New Orleans. So um, we did have those dialogues, but I think there were certain things that I didn't tell them because I didn't know how I would bring it up with them about the bullying. Um, I'm sure they knew because I would come home quiet and they would, you know, I'm sure they could figure it out. They are But I think um, it was more about a conversation. That was larger than just the bullying at school.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you wrote you wrote a letter um, about your sister that you released for your collaboration with the National Down Syndrome Society and the Nini Bag, and I would love to read a part of it because it, I feel like it talks about this a little bit with being a sibling and that you talk about being a shift. So I'm just going to read a real quick paragraph if that's okay with you. Sure. Um, okay. So you says you said. This all changed very rapidly as our adolescent consciousness grew and we learned more about the world in which Nini came into. This also meant I now wanted to access the same support system, systems that entered my parents' radar in Nini's infancy to help guide me in creating an inclusive space for her. Truth be told, it took me time to learn that labeling Nini as special was counterproductive. It was so easy to dismiss my speaking slowly with her to give her time to express her thoughts to us as something victimizing. So can you elaborate more on this? Like how did you begin to see Nini differently from this point on?
3: Yeah. So I think what we started to realize is that when I would speak with her or when I would interact with her, it would be different than the way that I would maybe interact with my mother. And I think, or my father or my brother, um, maybe more so my brother. And you can tell that New Valley was sensing that we were being different towards her. And I think sometimes she'll become quieter, sometimes she'll become louder, more vibrant. Um, so it's more about really talking to her the same way that I would talk to my brother, with the same level of intensity, perhaps, or the same level of respect, um, and not differentiating it so much. Because what happened was she was then more communicative between the three of us, and that relationship kind of got stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of the turning point for me, was just recognizing these short, like small, nuanced, um, emotional cues, and just you know, just making her feel the same that I would, the same way that I would speak to my brother or like interact with him. Um, but at the same time, we were also very cognizant. Like my brother and I, we you know pushed each other around pretty aggressively when we were growing up. Um, but we also knew that that would be the wrong thing to do with Newell. So I, I, yeah, it was. Yeah, it almost doesn't make sense, but it it was just like a thing that you just understood, and your emotions and your body just picked up and acted on what you were like feeling. Yeah. From and, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I always say cuz so my oldest and youngest have down syndrome, my middle daughter doesn't. And when people feel really concerned for her, which is sweet of them, <laughs> um and can but a little bit misplaced. It's like, well, this is her normal, you know? Like this is what she's always known. And so I'm we're doing the best we can as parents, but I also feel like she's going to navigate this. In the yeah. way she needs to, and it sounds like that's what happened with you. Like as you were growing up, you're processing through it. This is your normal, but you're processing through it. You're figuring it out. You're growing and changing and shifting as needed. Co- Would you say that's yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I just think that what
3: happened is just there is no cookie cutter way to really feel these emotions, and there no no one had ever told me okay this is what you're going to go through. This is, like, what it is to have a sibling with Down syndrome. And I think there will never be that because every relationship is so different. And I think that we also grew up in a family where there's so many of us. So I think it was just very interesting because she had a different relationship with every member of our family. And she's also um, very brilliantly manipulative in terms <laughs> of, oh, so why oh, what? And it's just like, you know, it's just, did you start to pick up on this, like, web and um, how, like, New Alley fits into this web and how you fit into this web and, like, how do you navigate it yourself?
0: Right. Um, yeah. So, and totally. So, yeah, so much of it, too, and I'm I'm sure you feel this way, it's just family dynamic. Like, that's what you're saying, you know? It's just... And even, like, Down syndrome or not, How are, how do people get along with siblings? How do siblings affect their, like, their day-to-day and then their adult years and their long-term? It's just... It, I mean, it's family dynamics, it's siblings, and and it's a lot. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so how? what is your relationship like with your sister today?
3: My relationship with my sister today is a lot of hugs and kisses and cuddling. <laughs> I will say that. Um, she loves to play with my hair, and I very much welcome it because no one else likes to play with my hair. <laughs> and um, But on a like, more serious note, I do think, though, it's been much more of a learning experience, even now, just because we've seen her age and she is getting older, and there's been a lot of behavioral changes. There's also been a lot of bodily changes, um, and it's more about just understanding that what neurality experiences is something that it's probably going to be very difficult for us to even explain because sometimes she struggled with. It. No, explaining her emotion. Mm-hmm. And now our relationship with my my relationship with my sister is one of patience and it's one of a lot of um open ended questions. And just like mm-hmm. allowing her to express whatever she wants to express and whatever she and trying to respect the space she needs when she maybe doesn't want to talk so much.
0: Yeah. Where does she live? When do you how do you see her?
3: Yeah. Um, she lived back home in Tracy, she lived at home with my parents and I see her maybe four or five times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up like when I was at Berkeley I would see her every month so it was a lot more but now she's in New York right now for the first time after I think 10 years and she just went to my apartment yesterday and she was a kind of just interested to see that this is where I live. (laughs) So it was just, you know, it's just really interesting to see her also trying to grapple with like her brothers and like their own lives and because we're not at home every day anymore. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's It's, a lot uh, lot to process. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, But those few moments we do have together, they are very um, in close proximity. And I think there's something about just having her warmth next to me in a very physical way that makes me feel makes me feel really loved from her. And I think, I hope I do that for her, but yeah, I don't know, there's something about that and I can't explain that feeling. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. so so you have, from my perspective in the research that I've done on Benno, um, am I saying that right, Benno? Benno, yeah. yeah. So your company, it's been very successful quickly. Like you've had some pretty large successes and opportunities pretty quickly. And tell me about um, why you wanted to do a collaboration with your sister, why you wanted to design a bag with your sister in mind, and then the collaboration with the National Down Syndrome Society.
3: Multifold. So um, the bag, the Nini Toad, is an adaptive bag that um, is functional with, new, like, new Valley's needs in mind. Um, as we know, like, there are some bodily um, bodily things that folks with Down syndrome go through. So the zippers on our bags are all rounded so that their fingers are able to latch on and open them. Um, It's a tote bag with not too many fussy pockets inside so they can fit things and easily grab things. Um, Because one of the largest things that I grew up with is Nurali could never tie her shoelaces or never really button her shirt um, or do zippers. So I think we wanted to make sure that we considered some of these elements in designing the tote um, for Nini. So it's more about a commentary also on like how do we make even handbags accessible to communities that do have certain parameters that they live within. So that was one aspect of it. The second thing, that the reason why we partnered with the NDSS, National Down Syndrome Society, was When my my sister was born, they were there for my parents. And um, in the paragraph you actually read, my brother and I also at some point wanted to start doing more research around what it meant to have a family member with Down syndrome. And the NDSS always has been a great source of information, and they gave us so much when we were growing up, and my parents when they first had Norelli. And for us, it felt like it it was time to give back in whichever way we could to help the to do the advocacy work for other folks who might need them the same way we needed them so many years ago. So that was more, that was the pure reason why. I think it was just more about figuring out how can we leverage Benno and, uh, you know, allow them to keep the great work going.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so great. I love how you talked about, does, I mean, you're, you're designing gorgeous handbags that are high-end handbags. And that people with Down syndrome and different abilities should have access to those kinds of things. You know, like to be that thoughtful um, is super important and it's a narrative shift. Like we talk about on our podcast, shifting the narrative, like being in the space that you're in and shifting it and seeing that. So I'm super grateful for your heart and where you're, what you're doing in your industry. You have access to a community and to an industry that most people in the Down syndrome community, I mean, most people, right, don't have access to. So to see the mindfulness there. Super, I'm really grateful as a young mom for that. So thanks. Thank you for that. Um, what is the collaboration with the NDSS? So is it, there's a certain bag that was made.
3: Yeah. So we have a capsule of, I think it's about eight or nine bags. Um, they are comprised of a signature shape, all done in red. And also the Nini tote, which we have in our natural beige color and a black um, with a red lining and red pockets, um, just, you know nodding towards is official color, and 20% of our sales online go back to the NDSS. And um, we have a discount code that you can use if you're a first-time shopper. You get 20% off the order, but we still give 20% of the actual um, retail price back to NDSS. And the goal is just to share um, share you know whatever we are able to bring in as a company um, because we are a social enterprise on the back end, um, looking after our government workers and artisans and factories and making sure those relationships grow and folks are nurtured and properly taken care of. Uh, but on the front end, we also want to be a social enterprise and how do we give back to communities that mean so much to us um, personally. And you know this is just the first nonprofit collaboration we've done.
0: I love it. So tell our listeners how they can find out more about you.
3: Yeah, so um, you go to B-E-H-N-O B E H N O.com, and we have a section on the site that's the Banners, Times, and uh, National Down Syndrome Society, and then all of our bags are there. Um, all of the red bags are a part of the Capital Collection, and if you do buy one, 20% will go back to NDSS. Um, we send a free card holder, and there's a little bit of information about the collaboration and the work that NDSS does. And yeah, I just think that the more folks that we can get moving into the dialogue, I think we can get beautiful bags out into the world, but also work with many different communities in that partnership as well.
0: Absolutely. I love it. I love what you're doing and listeners. Veno um, is also our sponsor for this episode. So we have a special discount code for you. So keep listening through to the end. Um, Shmam. thank you so much for all that you're doing, just your whole company. I'm totally blown away by it. And I'm grateful that people like you exist and that you're putting yourself out into the world. You're totally making the world a better place and you're, shifting the downstream narrative. So we are grateful for you and cheering you on. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for everything.
1: All right. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Shabam, And to all our listeners out there, be sure to check out Benno and the Nini collection and support an awesome company and the National Down Syndrome Society. And friends, stick around because we're going to be right back with some good news.
0: This episode is graciously sponsored by the Ethical Handbag Line Bano, the NYC based label aiming to redefine and bring sharp awareness of sustainability and ethics to fashion. The brand recently partnered with the National Down Syndrome Society on a curated capsule collection of handbags and the signature Nini Tote. The Nini was named after the founder's sister who has Down syndrome and whose lively spirit inspired his whole family. In honor of Nini and to support the organization that was instrumental in helping his family create. An inclusive space for her. The NDSS and the Baino Capsule Collection is now available on Baino.com. That's B-E-H-N-O.com. With every purchase made from this collection, 20% is donated to the National Down Syndrome Society to support their impactful work. And a complimentary tarot card holder, which is a $75 value, will be sent with any purchase from the NDSS Capsule Collection when you use the promo code NDSS at checkout. We are excited to tell you more about this week's sponsor, Quantum Reflex Integration, or QRI, which combines the powerful effects of cold laser, sound, and reflex integration, allowing individuals to reach their potential by strengthening neurological connections. Parents of children with Down syndrome often notice improvement in behavior, speech, and academics. Heather Hill, a parent who uses QRI with her son, who has Down syndrome, says, QRI has helped my son with T21 make progress towards our goals for him in speech and behavior. Our friends at QRI have created a special offer just for our listeners. So head on over to reflexintegration.net and use code QRI Lucky Few for a free QRI computer harmonizer valued at $159 with the purchase of any essential package today. All right, friends, we're back. And it's time for some good news. Good news in
1: your soul and your heart in your toes and your eyeballs and all around your face here we go <laughs> Good <Goodness. laughs>
0: okay friends we're out of control here um We need Mercedes here to keep us in line with the singing girls. We're just going (laughs) to sing all day. So we have some good news. We have some good news from one of our listeners. Um, Corey Wingate wrote in and she said, I just wanted to share good news about my kiddo that is kind of no big deal for most, but a huge, huge for us. I'm going to interrupt this quote here from her and say this is the point of good news, friends, because it is <laughs> a big deal. Um, he's 16, month old, 16 months old and finally has mastered a straw cup mm. after only nursing and refusing liquids in any form from any other source. Oh and he gosh. loves drinking water, milk, and smoothies now. It's such a way off my shoulders after months of work. Ugh. This is huge It's news. huge.
1: Huge news. As we should say. And Corey, this is our story. This is my story with Ace. I think he was like about 16 or 18 months too when he first had a straw cup after only nursing. So I just fill you and celebrate with you. And that is amazing. Yes. Um, Okay. We also have a a message from Nancy Hartwicker. And she wrote in to say, my six-year-old Willow. Has Down syndrome. Willow's such a cute name. She doesn't say that. I'm saying that. <laughs> Willow. <laughs> they've. Uh, she says we have been through it with her medically and developmentally. But this summer, she learned to swim. She could swim across the pool and jump in and dive for rings. I love being at the pool with her. She's amazing. That makes me just swell up with nice. joy. So great, Nancy. Thank you for letting us know.
0: Yes, these are some good, good newses, friends. And now we're going to take a second and hear some good news from your very beautiful voices.
2: Hi, ladies. My name is Lauren, and I'm from Orchid, California. And I have some good news. My son, Elijah, is five, and he has Down Syndrome. And haircuts have always been a real struggle, challenge. He doesn't like them. And I usually have to quickly buzz his hair with a ton of distractions and promises of all kinds of treats afterwards. Well, today I took him with me to the barber so his little brother could get a haircut. And I asked him if he wanted one too. And he said, no, no, mommy, which I said that was okay. But he watched his little brother get a haircut from the barber. And after his little brother was done, Elijah said, mommy, my turn, and jumped up onto the barber's chair and wanted a haircut and the barber was able to cut his hair and he sat there the whole time and i was so proud i almost cried in the middle of a barber shop. so i'm just so proud of him because it's such a huge accomplishment for him so that's my good news i hope you have a great day all
0: right friends we are back thank you so much for sharing your good news with us we absolutely love it if you would like If you have good news that you would like to share, you can leave us a voicemail at 424-442-9147 and share your good news. And if you have a product or a business that wants to help us shout the worth of people with Down syndrome, then we would love to partner with you. And you can email us at hello at the Podcast.com for sponsorship opportunities. And as always, a huge thank you to our editor and producer, Andy Lara, our co-producer, Val Schlieder, our sponsor, and our guest, And to all of you, dear friends, who have listened faithfully and cheered us on, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember that you, dear listeners, supporting your loved one with Down syndrome, you are a shouter of worth and a narrative shifter. So keep on keeping on. We are cheering for you. We'll see you next Monday on the Lucky Few podcast. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Lucky Few Podcasts. Remember to review our show on Apple Podcasts and check us out on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. You can also support the show now via anchor.fm just by going to the website, scroll down to the bottom, and you can begin your support right now. Lastly, send us your good news by going to the LuckyFewPodcast.com and sending us a message via text, voicemail, or email. See you next time.